We're talking about rest. Uh, welcome to Union Chapel this morning. I'm uh, Greg Paris. I'm so glad you're here. And we are on the subject of Sabbath this month in this series, talking about rest, how important that is to us. Today we've taken as our text from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read the first six verses of Mark's third chapter. If you don't have your Bible, we'll project the words on the screen. Welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. Our uh, custom, our habit is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, would you please? And this is an occasion of Jesus on the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out, began to plot with the Herodians about how they might kill Jesus. And we got inspired today through this important story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. The minute that Jesus steps into his public ministry, he stakes claim on the Sabbath. He's in charge of it. He's both the Lord of the Sabbath and the meaning of the day by his own words in Matthew 12 and Luke, Luke 4. So to walk with Jesus through the gospel is to watch him work on the Sabbath in order to restore the original intent of the Sabbath day, the original heart behind it, the original motive of the Sabbath. It's very important. Uh, Jesus uh, went through his ministry, especially uh, in the early days of his ministry, doing all kinds of things on the Sabbath. He was casting out demons. He was healing scoliosis. He was shrinking down unusual swelling in a man who had peripheral edema. Blindness is healed. He feeds the hungry, a paralyzed hand, a withered hand. Uh, high fever is reduced. Mark's gospel is especially filled with these kinds of action points. Uh, Mark's gospel is addressed primarily to a Roman audience. It is short. It is filled with a lot of verbs. And so we see a lots of lots of miracles and healings in the opening chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And it's interesting, and not by coincidence, that many of these miracles take place on the Sabbath. This is, this is very fascinating. Mark chapter 2 closes with Jesus setting everybody straight on the meaning of Sabbath. It may be against the law, he says, to harvest grain on the Sabbath, but it is never wrong to feed the hungry on the Sabbath. And so he reminds everyone that the laws against working were made to benefit people, not the other way around. The reason that the Sabbath exists isn't to keep that rule and keep that law, but rather to benefit human beings. It's, the Sabbath is not about rule keeping, it is about our well-being. Then we get to Mark chapter 3 and Jesus is there in the, in the synagogue on the Sabbath and he has this man with a withered hand, and he asks, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save life or to destroy it? Of course, they have no answer for that. So throughout the ministry of Jesus, he is consistently bringing us to the heart, the original intent of the law. Remember, 
Jesus said, it says, you shall not kill. He said, I say, I say, don't be angry. The law says, don't commit adultery. He said, I don't, he said, I say, don't lust. The law says, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. But I say, he said, as he said to a rich young man, he said, give away everything you have. And so he's constantly boring down to the real meaning and intent of the law. So the question then is asked, the same guy who says thou shalt not kill actually means don't get angry. What does he mean in intent then by the fourth commandment, which is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? What is the original intent? Look at the screen with me and I'll tell you exactly what it is. The intent of the fourth commandment is rest. Is rest. Rest is what's important. That's the, that's the idea. That's the original design. That's God's intention. So the intent of the Sabbath is holy rest. The word Sabbath literally means stop. Stop and rest. So people don't guard the Sabbath. People don't protect the Sabbath. People don't save the Sabbath by observing it. Sabbath saves us. It's not for the law's benefit. It's not, it's not for rule-keeping's benefit, but it's for our benefit, for our security, for our wholeness, for our balanced life. So the meaning of rest to a man who cannot walk, the meaning for rest for him is to get up and get going. The meaning for a man who's hungry, the intent for the Sabbath for a guy who is hungry is to eat. The, the meaning of rest for Peter's mother-in-law wasn't merely to get her fever reduced, but so that she could be hospitable to the guests in her home. So if you sit inside at a desk all week, then rest for you would be to get outside and move around. If you perform manual labor all week, then rest for you would be to lie down and take a nap. Stop and rest. Sabbath. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? That's, it's so helpful. It's so important. Let me ask you something. Do you, remember, do you remember the first day of summer vacation when you were a kid? Stop and think about that. First day of summer vacation. Smiles are coming on faces. The first day of summer vacation for me, as I thought about this when I was a kid, that was Sabbath to me. I remember fourth grade for some reason. It was particularly onerous. And when you think about it, when you're in fourth grade, you know, you're only 10 years old. And so sitting in fourth grade for nine months actually comprises one-tenth of your whole life. No wonder it felt like, oh, God, I'm never going to get out of fourth grade. I'm just going to sit here forever. And my teacher in fourth grade assigned a project the last week of school. And it was due on Friday, the last day of school. And... I reason to myself, school's out on Friday. If I don't do this project, school's out. So I just blew that thing off. And on the last day of school, the teacher stood up and said, if you have not completed your project and have it ready to turn in, you will not be passed on to fifth grade. Now listen, if you're a grade school teacher, don't do that to people. Don't do that to children. <laughs> That ain't right. That ain't right no matter what, what you say. And so she said, I will be here tomorrow in the office. And so if you want to turn in your project tomorrow, I'll be here to receive it. And so I went home and, you know, fussed with it. My mom helped me and we got it together. And the next day she took me there and I traded this project in for my grade card and being passed on to fifth grade. And then we went home. And that was freedom. 
Freedom. It's the first day of summer vacation. It is a wonderful day. It is a beautiful day. It is a Sabbath day. It is just so nice. Some of you will be surprised to know that I have a favorite rock and roller. Uh, his name is Alice Cooper. Some of you know Alice Cooper. <laughs> now, many of you are too young to know who Alice Cooper is. In fact, the whole rock and roll genre is not all that popular these days. But I can tell you, rock and roll, uh, it'll come back. And Alice Cooper is my favorite guy. And by the way, some of you don't know, if you're visualizing Alice Cooper right now, you may think poorly of him, but Alice Cooper is actually a, a follower of Jesus. Many years ago, Alice Cooper's wife led him to Christ. And Alice Cooper traded his alcoholism for a life following Jesus. Alice Cooper is also rather famously known in the industry in America as the go-to guy for other musicians who have uh, various uh, issues with addictions. And Alice Cooper's helped many, many other people in that industry find freedom over the years. And so Alice is one of my favorites. He is my favorite. And his, the favorite, my favorite song, my favorite, my favorite rock song of all time is a song that Alice wrote called School's Out. Maybe you... May, well, here's some of the chorus. Go ahead and play it I, so you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, turn it up. Turn it up more. There you go. See, now that's it. That's what I'm talking about right there. Love that song. School's out for summer. School's out forever. It kind of goes downhill from there, so we didn't play that. <laughs> that, that was Sabbath for me. We need rest. We need rest not just when we're 10 years old. We need rest from being hurt. We need rest from our worries, from this fat, fast-paced world we live in. You and I are designed to get away once a week from the pressure points of our job, the information overload that we have, and now more than ever, I believe Jesus is calling out to us in our 24-7 world. And this is what he says to us. Look at it, Look at it from Matthew 11:29. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can you feel that? You feel that? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And he has come to give us rest. Now, what do we need rest from? I put a few ideas about that in your, in your outline, and I want you to, to think about these things for a minute and connect with them because I believe these are really relevant notions of areas where we need to get rest. The first is this. We need rest from being hurt. Rest from being hurt. You need the word hurt. Everyone picks up a collection of hurts as we go through life. Disappointments and losses are a part of every life. We all hurt each other and we've all been hurt. That's just true. It's a child and his friend who find the father's pistol and begin to play with it. It's the teacher driving home, getting distracted as she reaches for her purse and doesn't see the young woman who's jogging. It's the pallet that falls off the back of a truck into the way of a teenage driver. It's a lump that's found in your breast or your groin or your neck. 
It's the parents who gather the children on a Saturday morning and say to them, it's not your fault. Mommy and daddy will always love you, just not enough to stay married. Everybody suffers pain. And it takes time. We all know for physical pain and wounds to heal, it takes time. I mean, if you break a part of your body, you realize it's going to take a while for this to heal. The same goes for spiritual and emotional wounds. And so here's a summarizing statement. Look at it on the screen. Rest gives our souls the time they need to heal. Rest from being hurt. Now here's the second thing. We need rest from heavy labors, from heavy labors. Manual labor has its own means of stopping. I mean, you can only carry so many bricks, right, until your bones and your muscles say, look, I can't carry any more bricks. I'm, I'm going to have to rest. But that's not uh, exactly true when the types of labor we do aren't necessarily all physical. Uh, what about answering emails or going to meetings and working with customers and clients? It takes its toll, and we need rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Do you ever feel burdened in life by your labor? you ever feel weary from your labor? Of course you do. We all do. Jesus said, if you come to me, he'll give you rest. So Jesus calls us not just from physical burdens, from all of life's trials. Let me summarize it this way. Look on the screen. If we are to treat our bodies as temples, we must allow time for physical, mental, and spiritual recovery from the labors of the week. That's why God has designed that one day in seven that we stop and rest. Stop and rest. Now, here's the third thing we need rest from. We need rest from the pace of the world, from the pace of the world. Now, when I just, just saying that, we really don't even have to explain it, do we? I mean, we can all just agree that the pace is a crazy pace that we, that we are forced to run. You've probably seen these time-lapsed uh, films of people crossing intersections uh, in big cities like New York and Tokyo, intersections and highways and escalators. You see these sped-up film of people, and if the altitude of the, 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 the shot of this it makes people look like insignificant little worker ants just buzzing around on the ground. There's an interesting study that was done in the 1990s for the British Council by Dr. Richard Wiseman, and he actually recorded how fast people walked in cities as a gauge of those cities' pace of life. Now, listen to this. It's very interesting. Fast-paced cities. The faster the pace of the walking in those cities, the higher the incidences of coronary artery disease in those cities. How interesting is that? It's very interesting. A recent redo of Wiseman's study found that the speed of walking has increased another 10%. In cities around the world people are walking even faster now it's intuitive to us we think well if we're moving faster we must be getting more done but that may actually be counterintuitive that the faster we go it may not be true the more we get done for example uh, speeding up our pace in some categories has an opposite effect fast living includes fast food and fast eating may ultimately be slowing us down. Let me explain. Americans spend less than 80 minutes every day eating. 80 minutes every day. And what is the reaction? 
we're getting fatter. America's fat. Nearly 35% of our population has a body mass index. That's basically fat relative to your, your height. Body mass index over 30. Now, a BMI over 25 is considered overweight. If you're over 30, that's considered obese. 35% of the American population now are considered obese, over 35%. Now, in contrast, contrast that with the French. Uh, we hate the French. <laughs> sort of. We just, they annoy us. The, the French, though, they spend more than two hours a day eating. Now, we do 80 minutes. They do 120 minutes every day eating. Now, that's an interesting dynamic. And only 10% of them have a BMI over 30. 35% of Americans, 10% of the French. They, they're spending 40 minutes longer every day just to stop and eat. It's curious, isn't it? Did you know that in 1972, Americans spent $3 billion on fast food? 1972, $3 billion. Last year, Americans spent $110 billion on fast food. Now, I'm a preacher guy, and I can make an argument about what the Bible says about sitting down and having a meal together. And you could describe that phenomenon as a sacred biblical business. For example, we know that Abraham fed the angels under the oaks of Mamre, a beautiful setting where he sat down with angels and they had a meal. Jesus taught over meals. Just about every time we find Jesus sitting down with friends or disciples around a meal, he was teaching. In fact, there's an episode in John's gospel where Jesus is teaching and it go at a meal and the meal lasts for five chapters of Jesus teaching in the gospel of John. Almost a quarter of the entire gospel of John is one meal as Jesus sat with his friends. Now, what would we have lost if the disciples had gone up to the drive-up window? What if, they, what if they did fast food that night? Yeah. So by eating fast food, we get calories in our bodies fast, but by taking the time to cook the food and to dine together, we actually nourish our souls. Can you hear your pastor encouraging you as families to sit down and eat a meal together? And I get it. I understand. So here's my schedule, pastor. You tell me where you can sit down and have a meal together. We're never in the same place at the same time. How is that even possible? We need rest from the pace. Let me give you the summary statement. Look at it on the screen. Fast-paced lives leave less time for activities that actually build family and friendships. Okay. Here's number four. You want to write this down. We need rest from the speed of change. From the speed of change. Is anyone sensitive to that? We have, a, we have a number of young people on our staff right now, and I would describe some of them as computer geeks. You know, that I, had a, I had a prompt that came up on one of my apps on my iPad a couple of weeks ago, and it was just a little number. This is the number one. just prompted, cause popped up on top of my app. I don't like little things on my apps like that. And I was trying to get the one to go away. 
And I, one afternoon I said, all right, that's it. I'm, I'm going to move this thing. And I worked and worked and worked until I got frustrated. And it was still there. And I said, well, I guess I have to live with that. Until one, you know, two days later, I thought, I know what I'll do. And we were having a staff meeting. And the, I decided the first person with a plaid shirt and skinny jeans that walked in, <laughs> I would ask for help. I said, you, come over here. I said, I got this thing. Can you get this off? And he goes, and 5.4 seconds, it was gone. Yeah. How wonderful it must be to belong to this generation who finds connectivity so intuitive. And they look at me like, what's the matter with you? It's just common sense. Yeah. But I have overheard the young, maybe you've heard them too, that they're expressing worry over their ability to keep up with the technical advances. And those advances are going to happen and accelerate even more as time unfolds. The person in this room today who is the most tech-savvy person in the entire room, if you don't race, you will get behind in about 30 seconds because things are moving so fast. And we need rest from the speed of change. Used to be there are people in the room who've actually used this phrase. It's in the mail. Letters in the mail. You've actually said that out loud, meaning to a friend, you know, wait three or four days, it'll be there. Snail mail. It gets there. Uh, the onset of email, though, made correspondence much faster. But there was still a sense of separation of time, even with email. Those of you who are the youngest in the room today, you've always had a smartphone, but the smartphones have only been around for about nine years or so. Before that, uh, a few folks carried laptops, but not very many. Most of us, when we started with email, we had to use a desktop computer that was either at the office or in our home, and so email had to be done when we were at our desk. And so there was this separation of time in, in communication. Now, uh, the smartphone technology, we are instantly connected. For example, the average response time for an email today is 90 minutes. The average response time for a text message is 90 seconds. I got a text yesterday afternoon from a good friend at 2.43 in the afternoon, and I had my phone on vibrate and had it sitting across the room. I didn't hear it, and when I finally picked it up and saw it, it was 3.30 in the afternoon. So I, and when I sent it back, I felt guilty because it took me 45 minutes to respond to his text. 90% of Americans now keep their mobile phone within reach 24-7. We need rest from the speed of change. What if one day a week, this is going to blow your mind, some of your heads are going to blow off. What if one day a week you shut your phone off? Just shut it off. Number five, we need rest from the job. Rest from the job. Now, my parents' generation tended to have long-term careers at one company or school or profession. See, when I was growing up, that was the rule of thumb for both farmers and for folks who just drove to their job every day. But it's not the case for this generation. Uncertainty about jobs has hit all kinds of areas of employment, and we are actually working more. 
Let me give you some numbers. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average young married couple in 1969 worked 56 hours a week. 1969, a couple would work 56 hours a week. 30 years later, this number had risen to 67 hours per week, and it continues to accelerate. It's going up and up. The statistics hold true not only with couples who have children, but couples without children. So we are actually working more, and we have less job security. Now, that creates all kinds of stress, all kinds of pressure points, all kinds of uncertainty. And people live, live in, the, in, the, in the pressure cooker of, of the job world. And virtually all of us in this room feel it to one degree or another. It impacts us. It affects us. So let me, let me just give you this summary statement then about this point. Resting then is even more necessary in uncertain times. Let that, let that soak in. It helps us remember that God is in control. That's, that'll help somebody here. God is in control. And that our identity is not dependent on the work we do. There's a whole sermon series just in that statement. Can you, can you, can you receive it? Resting is even more important when it's uncertain helps us remember that God is in control and that our identity is not wrapped up in, in what we do. So we need rest from the job. Let me give you one more thing we need rest from. And by the way, I, I imagine you could name another half dozen things that we need rest from in our, in our, in our high-pressured world. But one more thing I want to mention is rest from information. You need the word information. <laughs> Peter Drucker is uh, known by a number of you. I know he's best known for his work on management philosophy. And he argues that executives, people and companies and corporations who, who make important decisions for those groups, need large quantities of uninterrupted time in order to, quote, make executive decisions. They need to synthesize information, weigh the risk, plan strategies, so forth. Now, that's... That's not something that would, that would surprise any of us when we hear it. I mean, if you're going to make important decisions, then you need time, interrupted time, to kind of let the dust settle so you can see the, see the options clearly so you can make wise choices. But listen to me. Every single one of us in this room have to make executive decisions all the time. If you're trying to keep a marriage together or you're running a home or raising children or just trying to figure out life, you have to know what to do. And we live in a culture that is drowning us, deluging us with information. There is a tsunami of information that impacts us all the time. If you just graze up against technology of any kind right now, information technology, it just washes over you. When is it that you have time to get away from the constant pressure of this bombardment of information? The average American outside of work or school, when you have to work with technology and be online, 
The average American today spends 13 hours, just casual time, free time, 13 hours a week online surfing the net. 13 hours. The average American connects with 99 different web pages, websites, addresses on the web in their free time every week and visits about 3,100 different pages on those sites every week. Now, here's the average amount of time that an individual in the United States visits one of those 3,100 pages, 56 seconds. So we're just going boom, 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 boom. Splash, 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 splash. With this whole, this amazing information glut that just leaves us dazed and confused. We need rest from that. We need rest. Here's my summary statement. Look on the screen. We need rest from the deluge of information in order to discern what information is important and how we should respond. Am I connecting with anyone when I say we need rest from our hurts, rest from our labors, rest from the pace, rest from change, rest from our job, rest from information? And like I said, you guys could name a dozen other things that we need rest from in this amazing world that we're living in right now. Now, here's what we're going to do at the, end of this, at the end of this message, like we are each of these messages in the series. I want you to just pause and take a few moments and contemplate what Sabbath means to you, what stopping and resting would imply to your life, maybe even in these categories. And I'm just going to share some thoughts as we reflect and pray, and maybe you can make some application to your own life and your own heart. So would you bow your heads with me? Just close your eyes. Maybe that's appropriate for you. And reflect on these ideas. As I mentioned, for me, when I was a kid, the first day of summer vacation defined rest. And we all have our own special times of stopping. And that definition, of course, changes as we age and go through the different seasons of life. So what is rest? Well, rest, rest is stopping one's work, whatever that work may be. Rest is freedom from harassment. It's the quiet after the storm. It's the child who's fresh out of a bath. Can you see, see him, a little pruned fingers, smell of baby shampoo just before you tuck him into bed? Rest is the sound of the summer night breeze rustling the leaves outside your bedroom window. Rest is putting your head down on the pillow, knowing that you can sleep in. Rest is walking around the edge of a freshly picked cornfield in the fall in Indiana. Rest is reading and setting the book aside when your eyes get too heavy. Rest is stopping. It's staring up through a rural cloudless night at the starry spine of our Milky Way galaxy. Rest is thinking about all the things that you could do on a Sunday afternoon and stopping to hear a still, small voice 
telling you simply to take a God-ordained nap. Musicians say that it's not the notes, but the pauses between the notes that make music. Well, to add meaning to our lives, let me remind you, God gave us the punctuation mark of the Sabbath, the stop and rest. So can you hear Jesus' call? Call to us in our 24-7 world of constant change. Can you hear him say, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. O Lord, speak to us now. Help us to find rest. In Jesus' name. Amen.